Welcome one, welcome all. This is Duncan Steer and this is Carlton Kirby's Cycling Locking, episode three. And here he is, Carlton Kirby. Hey, we're up to three. I mean, that's a that would be a publishing success. They say your third edition is the difficult one. Everyone talks about a second album, but you get a third edition of a magazine out and that means you've left the runway. Do you think Amstel Gold is the difficult third album? Because uh, obviously Tour of Flanders, there's a lot of history. And then, of course, we had the, the Queen of the Classics, uh, Paris-Roubaix. And then coming up, we've got uh, La Doyenne, of course, Liège, Bastogne, Liège. The not difficult fifth album, that is. But this is a difficult <laughs> third album. Is, is there less to say about the Amstel Gold race, Carlton Kirby? Well, um, a lot happened in 1966. I think the Beatles launched it. No, the Stones were hot on their heels. And um, and then the Dutch decided that they were so sick of being called Kaskoff, which means cheesehead. And believe me, if you're a Dutchman and you're called a cheesehead by a Belgian, it's taken really seriously. They get very upset. And the Dutch, as you know, uh, traditionally laid back, not the most upsetting kind of nation. You sort of think, uh, you know, I, I don't know, they're, they're, they're sort of vaguely cuddly, aren't they, in a sort of a quirky kind of way. And anyway, they decided in 1966 that they'd had enough of corf ball, speed skating and hockey, and that they were going to throw themselves into this uh, cycling thing that seemed to be preoccupying their neighbours, the pesky Belgians, and that um, you've got better beer and better chips. And that they thought they'd, they'd move in on the act. They haven't managed with the beer, but they've got a great race called the Amstel Gold, and after a difficult start, it's still with us, except, of course, for this year. It's not. No. Well, so uh, so if if Liege based on Liege, of course, is La Grande Dame, uh, what is the nickname for the Amstel Gold Race? Um, is it just the, the Amstel Gold the, Race? The, the is wax, that it? The waxy covered cheese ball. I have no idea. Um, I mean, it had a very difficult start. First of all, the government tried to ban it because they were going to run it on the same day as Queen's Day. Do you know the significance of Queen's Day in the Netherlands? It's No, the... are you going to tell us? Yeah, I am. It's a tax-free day where everybody can set up a little stall and sell what they like and you don't have to declare it. It's a, it's like the gift from the royals. All right, we won't take your money to fight the wars and give it to Admiral Aranji Boom, who's going to sail up the Thames and destroy the British fleet. Um, we will allow you a tax-free day to sell what you like. And a mate of mine, actually, uh, Rob Reimerink, lovely guy, um, he decided one day that he was going to do two things. He was going to get uh, melon, a massive load of watermelons because it was a hot day, uh, put them in the fridge and then just sell slices of watermelon for a euro each or whatever it was in the old colourful days of their wacky currency. Um, uh, and he did uh, stacked up a load of beers. And then uh, this massive hairy biker came up, Hell's Angel kind of guy, and just picked up a tray of beer and uh, just went <laughs> and walked off with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then no. about half an hour later, all his mates came and just picked up the rest of it and walked off with it. And there was nothing they could do. <laughs> so his profit disappeared. Anyway, so Queen's Day, the, the government, here's your link. The, the government said you can't interrupt Queen's Day and they banned the race. And then they changed their mind at the very last moment and said to them in 1966, you can have it this time, but never again. Must it sit upon Queen's Day? And they promised, and then that was it. But it's had other troubles since. But um, anyway, more on that in a moment. Well, I'd just like to say, we're, we're, so if I just go to Holland, I mean, obviously I can't go anywhere. Yeah. I can't go anywhere. But if I went to Holland on Queen's Day, yeah. what, everyone's got a stall outside their house. It's like a yeah. giant what, your church fete. Yeah. 
but the whole nation does wow. it. Wow. It's absolutely fantastic. Have you? Yeah. Have um, you, Carlton Kirby, yeah. ever run a stall? No, but I've been there and uh, paid um, small kids for hot waffles that they're producing. Um, just uh, cool beers. Everyone's in a really chilled out sort of mood. You can, uh, The hippies are all out there selling roll-ups to people who are Dutch and, and not to anybody else. Won't tell you what's in the roll-up, but um, it's quite fruity smell to it. I can tell you that much. In fact, the hippies, the radical hippie movement... Uh, the culture alternative group um, tried to stop the race as well in the mid 60s. Um, they said we're going to target it. I don't know who paid them off. Probably with Amstel itself, the eternal sponsors of the great race. <laughs> why? Why? Why did the radical hippies take a dislike to the cycle racing? What? What was that all about? Well, it was a counterculture movement, and basically they just, you know, anything that's been organised, they were they were uh, out to disorganise. That was the deal. Well, that's the trouble with counterculture, isn't it? They're just opposed to all culture. Is that what it means? I yeah, exactly. So except, you've, it, you've, you've... except people who make shop counters, I always think. You know, the, the... <laughs> you've never the counterculture. <laughs> no, but on on the shop shop counterculture, yeah. you've never stood behind a stall anywhere in the world. I don't just mean on the Queen's Day, but I mean you've never you've never at a church fete or a school bazaar. Well, I, you, I, I see I, you behind I, a stool, Carl Kirby. I used to work at a, a Saturday job at a DIY store for about five years. They paid me. I my, definitely my, see that. Yeah, they, four pounds and two p was my uh, was my wage for the day. Um, two pence, two pence above minimum wage at the time. <laughs> when was that? Was that the last couple of years <laughs> in, in between the commentary shifts? Actually, it's this week because there's not much else going on. <laughs> I know. No. That could be your future. Oh. I see oh. that as your past and your future. What yeah. can you tell us about DIY? Did you learn anything about uh, tax or uh, no, I uh, knew T-A-C-K-S? I, I, mean. I knew so little. I was put in the woodyard, um, so just to sort of fetch and carry. And, uh, yeah, uh, just for a laugh one day, I wrote um, on a little kind of, po- kind of post-it note type thing, I, I wrote, um, DIY expert, see other side for details, and then stuck it on my back just for a laugh <laughs> brilliant yeah exactly you were destined you were destined for the commentary box obviously yeah, i've stood behind many stalls I, I've, I've sold magazines i've sold ice creams i've done uh, cake sales at, at school fates i've done so much i even presided over a bucking bronco in recent years but Good that's Lord. Another story. Well, that's so, a nice uh, segue to the to the Amstel Gold Race, which uh, bucks and bronx is, all over the place. It's a very uppy downy race, which is surprising because okay, here's some things people think about Holland. They think it's the home of cycling, uh, you know, because Amsterdam, everyone rides bikes. Of course, that's not really true. Uh, they think <laughs> it's totally flat, uh, and that's not quite really true, as we said. Although they do have to keep going up and down the same climb, so I believe. Uh, yeah, it's a bit loop-de-doop. Um, if you, uh, I once described um, the course as being like an overcooked piece of spaghetti that had been dropped on the floor. It kind of looks like that, folds over itself. Um, uh, actually, a phrase which has been nicked by many other commentators ever since. Um, and it, it irks me when I come up with a classic line like that, and then it gets uh, get, it gets uh, purloined. And, and then uh, they get, and, and even worse, it's when they get credit for it. Oh, it's marvellous. Who, I, I heard so-and-so who, who's say... Who's taking your credit, Carlton Kirby? <laughs> oh, dead who's, say. Who's taking your I credit? I don't say. There's a, there's a, there's a few who've, uh, who've actually nicked them. Uh, some, it's out, it's almost an homage, and others, it's just direct theft. Um, but <laughs> an that, homage. But that... <laughs> 
<laughs> I like so I really for it to be an homage. Does, doesn't the uh, commentator at the point have to say it's been? This is my homage to Carlton Kirby, and no, then do a kind of minute in your style. No, they have no to time, introduce it, don't they? Especially in the sprint, you know, if it's all kicking off, you can't be doing that. Um, no, it's a bit like a joke. Once it's out there, it's uh, it's public uh, owned. You, you you don't have to credit anybody. But anyway, shall we get to the race itself? This this thing that was created in '66. Go on. I know, but I've also seen it described as a ball of string on acid, the roots, a ball of string on acid. Now, that is a I, that is a formulation I don't like, anything on acid. When they say it's like Emerson, Lake and Palmer on acid, I, 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 don't, I don't like that. I don't like no. that. Or something on speed. No. I don't like that. You, no. Do you like that? Do you ever use that in your, in no. your commentary? No, I, I would never go there. That's, that's, far too, that's far too threatening as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, yeah, but, it's but, not yeah. a nice. It's taking you somewhere not nice. But but what what we can say. So last week, Paris Roubaix. It's 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 got a you know we're going out as we were saying from a metropolitan, sophisticated Paris to the kind of uh, grim industrial on the make industrial city in in the northeast of France. There's a kind of a general logic to the route. The route of Amstel Gold. It's really like. Can we just keep riding for a number of hours and then have an end? There's there's no logic to the route. It's 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 kind of a route for the sake of it. It's not well, a purposeful there, route. There is a kind of a a, a a philosophy to it, a particularly of late, and that's uh, basically centered around the Coburg, where they have the Amstel tent. So they come up, they come up the Coburg, and there's this massive tent which you have to buy. Uh, but you know, you have to. It's not like a VIP for not very important people. Uh, <laughs> very intoxicated people that's what vip means there uh basically you pay your money you go in the amstel tent the race comes by and you go ah, then just go and buy more beer um so yeah it's kind of got a bit of a queen's day kind of feel about it even though it's not allowed to be on queen's day um it's actually got more climbing in it than most races they're short and sharp but they're so frequent and you smash straight into the climbs um, very, very early on, I think after about 10 kilometres, you take your first climb. And bearing in mind the race is 265.7 kilometres last year, it's around about the 270 marker. Basically, I think what they did was they saw Flanders and thought, right, we're having some of that. But on top of that, we're going to have the action points from the very beginning right until the very end. In fact, they actually dialed it down a bit the last couple of years because they took away the final ascent of the Coburg, which is uh, what, what, what essentially um, characterises the entire race, um, to allow sprinters to sort of have another crack um, amongst the strong men. And that was the idea, to sort of liven it up a bit. And to be honest, last year's event, which was won by Mathieu van der Poel, was an absolute classic. Of all of the races last year, many people say that the Amstel Gold Race, if you just took one day of action from all the Grand Tours, notwithstanding all of the great things that happened in the Tour de France, etc., etc., that the day that stuck in everybody's mind was when Matthew van der Poel wound in the break. They were messing around in front of him. And not only did he did he drag a whole load of other contenders with him, he then actually went on to, to steal it, essentially, and was the first Dutch winner for a long, long time. I mean, a long, long time. In fact, let me just have a quick look. Uh, Eric Decker, 2001. So it was the Dutch race that was never won by a Dutchman. And then um, Matthew van der Poel comes up and says, uh, thank you so much. Um, and uh, yeah, it in, a friend, in a French accent. Well, Brilliant. he put it on because he just beaten Alaphilippe, who was crying. Uh, Alaphilippe <laughs> had been bi been busy looking at Fuglesang, and uh, you know they they basically just blew it. 
Uh, and Simon Clark, the man who I was criticised for backing in the classics, as uh, somebody somebody put on Twitter, Simon Clark. Uh, Carl, I'll tell you how bad Carlton Kirby is. He backed Simon Clark for Milan San Remo. Well, he finished second on uh, the uh, uh, the Absol Gold race, one of the toughies out there. So uh, Simo or Simo or whatever he likes to call himself. I once called him Cy Clark, and they actually got in touch to say he's never called Cy. He hates being called Cy. <laughs> So anyway, uh, so uh, yeah, I, I I now call him by his formal name, Simon. Uh, Simon Clark came home in second place, which I'm very pleased about. Uh, so there you go. Um, yeah, it's a race that is as tough as hobnail boots with a few of those nails sticking out. And they stick out all over the place from the very beginning right until almost the very end. They sort of flattened it out at the end, as we've just mentioned. But it is hellish out there. And if you're going to master it, um, then quite frankly pain needs to be your mistress um it is a very very difficult race to actually get hold of or indeed predict and for that we love it oh he misses the commentary you can tell he misses the commentary he could talk like this all day listeners all day but uh, we've all got things to do let's rein him in um but so i'm feeling that you kind of love this race i i was feeling because it's you know, uh, a newer, less romantic history than, say, Paris-Roubaix and the other classics, of course, a shorter history. I was feeling this was going to be a bit of a Cinderella yeah. situation. But, no. but you love it. You love I, the action. Is this absolutely. one? This is one of your favourite races, not just because last year was a great addition, but yeah. this is a race you actually love commentating on because it's so varied. Yeah, exactly. I actually just it, it fully invest in this one. Um, the old Coburg finish I absolutely loved. But now, and I, I must admit, I was a bit fed up when they actually ironed it out, as it were, at the end. But it does mean that you can actually get back into the action. I was sort of proved by Vanderpol last year. So it's never ending until it hit, you hit the line. And for that, I absolutely love it. Um, Paris-Roubaix, as we said, um, you've got this very, very long introduction before you suddenly hit the cobbles. Everyone remembers the cobbles, but they forget the long introduction. Um, this one, it's wham, straight in your eye uh, with a, a, an undercooked piece of penne and away you go. Um, it, it is it is very, very, very difficult to master. And the shocks that come along the way are phenomenal. I mean, they, they're very short, but uh, they're real kick up the backside and you can lose it at any moment. And the loops that you were talking about, that they constantly sort of uh, it, tr try and figure it out. It's a good job they've got men with pennants and high-vis jackets to tell you which way to go, because quite frankly, they, they, they fall across each other, these loops, almost as a constant. But, you know, the altitude gain last year, what do you think it was? It was three and a half thousand metres. That's how much climbing they did. I mean, that's that's an alpine day, albeit short and sharp, so you can recover. But boy, oh boy, this is this in, is in how many bursts? In how many bursts oh. is that three and a half thousand meters? In about like twenty-five different bursts. Yeah, maybe exactly. not twenty-five. It's just a uh, good number. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you if you let me count. Um, <laughs> uh, let me see. Five, count. We, we, we'll 10, cut it and pretend 15, you count 20, it immediately. Twenty-five, uh, thirty-five. Th getting on for forty. Something like wow. that. Wow. And the Coburg itself just comes around and around again because they've got to go buy the Amstel tent. You know, they're going to get their money out of this. Um, so Amstel Gold <laughs> starts in Maastricht. Maastricht. Now, is that? Now, one thinks of Holland as a bit like we've been talking last week about the culinary delights and otherwise of Belgium, the great beer, of course, the cosy little bars. Now, when we think of Holland... Yeah. We're going to go to we're going to go to Amsterdam, aren't we? What happens yeah. if we go to Maastricht? What 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 are the vibes in Maastricht? Because well, I'm sure be... many people haven't been. 
Um, Maastricht is famous for the treaty, uh, the, si the signing of uh, the European agreement to uh, basically all collectivise and not just have a trade agreement. Um, something that uh, I think uh, Jack Delors put forward and Margaret Thatcher said, no, 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 which, uh, which went uh, everywhere. Well, she said, no, 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 but it was translated for, uh, for the French. Um, <laughs> it was re it's really funny, actually, when you go to uh, any of these places, and occasionally you have to go to a mega uh, press conference, you know, for something like uh, UCI or cycling is being discussed by the European Union you 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 get the translation and somebody will stand there and go no 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 and the translator uh, for the french will go no 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 it's, like, it's unnecessary <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway well, they're, paid, um, they're paid by the word though aren't they yeah, paid yeah, uh, by the word. exactly actually hilariously um, I went to a press conference for um, uh, oh gosh uh, Alpacin and it was uh, in German and so just so that nothing was missed and they didn't want you to think that they were hiding anything because of course they did it in English as well um, the German was being translated and there was a, a German translator there and he was he was he suddenly he suddenly went quiet he didn't say a word and we're all looking over towards where the uh the, he was sitting in his translation box and he's got his head in his hands and he's obviously torturing and then he starts pounding the desk and the german person is going on and on and on telling us about this hair restoration product uh, <laughs> and then and then uh, finally he just said give me the effing verb you German B because <laughs> he couldn't make sense of the sentence until they'd given him the verb which then would make the whole thing make sense but anyway um, that's one for you linguists out there sorry about that Yeah, back, often, back to the Netherlands uh, food, stompot, do you know what stompot is? no I've never heard that word oh fantastic you're about to be educated um, yeah stompot is basically bubble and squeak but taken to an entirely other level. Mashed swede, mashed potato, mashed cabbage, or chopped up cabbage, a little bit of onion, anything you can find, basically. Uh, mashed uh, with mustard, seeded mustard, and then you stick a sausage in it. And it, when it's pushed over to you at the Amsterdam uh, Arena, where you've just watched the, sixth, the uh, fifth day of the uh, Amsterdam Six, it is like nothing on earth. It is extraordinarily wholesome um the dutch do fantastic sausages as well which um of course i'm a bit of an expert on in fact it was a dutchman uh, i've ha i've been presented with sausages in the most uh in the most strangest way <laughs> we haven't really spoke much about the gold have. race but anyway did i ever tell you about the uh, lac de vernay during the tour de france when i came across a dutchman no I'd like Tell to rephrase that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it was a very, very, very hot night. And I was living in a tent, not living in a tent, but uh, but uh, I was billeted in a tent one night because there was no hotels for the mountain bike tour of France um, and which came directly off to the tour, tour itself. And it was so hot. Um, we were staying on the on this uh, down by the lakeside and the mosquitoes were out because it was a mountain lake, fresh water. Oh, and it was a nightmare. Literally, I had to put my tent up, run around in a circle, then dive through the vent of the tent, zip it up. You could hear the mosquitoes just... They were that many of them. They were following me. 
Um, they had to. They nearly cancelled the following day because all the riders got so badly bitten overnight. But uh, I'm terrified of mosquitoes because they have a very strong reaction. So anyway, I was cooking in my tent and about two o'clock in the morning, I couldn't stand it any longer. So I unzipped the tent and I ran and dived into this mountain runoff uh, lake, which is absolutely freezing, but so welcome. And I'm sitting there with just my head, my nostrils above the water, just cooling off, thinking this is fantastic, watching the clear night sky. Very, very still it was, a bit like pre-monsoon. And then this dog started coming towards me and it was properly coming for me. You know, you know when you see a dog and it's got its eyes and it's... And it's uh, 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 it was actually doing a doggy paddle, but on every stroke of the paddle, it was growling. It was coming my way and I'm going, fuck! Well, excuse me, go away! But with an F word. Um, I think we got away with it. Uh, anyway, uh, the owner saw what was happening. He was out for a very, very late walk and called it back and was very apologetic. Turned out he was Dutch. Camping, of course, which is uh, hated by the French. They, they're described as those that bring their own bacon. <laughs> In other words, they, they, they don't actually... The bacon carriers. Can you imagine that as an insult? But anyway, that's what they the call the Dutch. Ca- that's a, what, that's, why bacon? I don't understand that. It's a very weird... Uh, well, Dutch bacon. Apparently, the Dutch make more bacon than anybody else, despite what the Danes might say. Uh, yeah, Dutch bacon. Particularly shoulder. It's a cut that they eat and nobody else does. But anyway, they love it. Um, so uh, this guy, it turns out, he was very, very apologetic. Uh, the reason he took his dog out in the middle of the night was because anyone in the lake, his dog was liable to attack because it was a um, a defence dog for a uh, fish farm that this guy ran. So basically, if anyone, it, it, it was to, against seals, off the Dutch coast. So he'd have his salmon in their pens and this dog would basically uh, fend off seals that were coming to uh, attack to, to nick his fish. <laughs> and so there's me with my head out the water, minding my own business, and I'm, a, I'm attacked by a, um, a fish pen guard dog being walked by a Dutchman. Anyway, so apologetic was he. <laughs> there's me just standing in my underpants. Um, he said, uh, I have something for you. <laughs> Actually, that sounded a bit Russian. But anyway, he, <laughs> and he gave me a sausage. And this was handed to me at two o'clock in the morning with people just being roused by the barking dog, still going mad. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so if they looked out. Why did he have a sausage? The sausage was for the dog, presumably. Yeah, it was just or, or was it? He was... Yeah, yeah, he just gave it to me as a, by way of apology. So that, that's uh, why he was walking the dog in the middle of the night. Yeah, because if anyone I mean, was in the water, and it, would, it would likely think that it was uh, it was going to be uh, a seal. But, yeah, well, coincidentally, that's why Kevin Spacey used to take his dog for a walk in the middle of the night. I don't did, know if you uh, I, I if you know about that. Did he carry a sausage? That's the point. Anyway, did, did he have a dog? Uh, but uh, <laughs> now I noticed when I said, "Oh, tell us all about Maastricht. The, is it any good? Is it like Amsterdam?" You then told us a story about how good Amsterdam was, well, and yeah, you got Ma- a lovely. Ma- Maastricht is, you know. is is actually very very beautiful, um, but it's also very very boring. And the strange thing about the Netherlands, say this quietly without telling anyone from the Netherlands, of which I have many many friends, is that largely speaking, um, it's calmed itself out of any vitality. Um, you know, the, the Netherlands is is somewhere you can go to and almost realize you forget you've been there. It, it's got these little pools of fabulousness. Uh, one of which is Harlem. I absolutely love Harlem. Um, or Harlem. 
You got off um, Maastricht again really quickly sorry, there. Well, you well, you slithered away like a seal. Right. Like okay. a seal. You, Here we you go. Slithered. Uh, Maastricht has... No, do, do Harlem. Do Harlem. <laughs> uh, Harlem's like mini Amsterdam, but much groovier. Um, it's where um, all the sort of artists and, and everyone else go. Um, you've got other places, um, you know, that you can mess around with, like The Hague, which has the um, uh, the Royal Academy of Arts. That's where my wife studied, actually. There you go. Um, uh, but Maastricht, yeah, it's very pretty. Uh, very nice for uh, diplomats to go out and have um, not stompot, but presumably something that's not very Dutch um, for their for their dinner. Um, but apart from that. Um, it's got some high-rise blocks. I believe it's got the uh, uh, one of the legal um, legal departments of the European Union stuck there. I think they're responsible for contracts. That about sums it up. Maastricht, not top of the list. Um, but, uh, yeah, Harlem, Amsterdam, yes, thank you very much. Strangely, the race, despite it's called the Amstel, the Amstel goes through Amsterdam. That's the dam of the Amstel, um, being a river and also a beer. Uh, it's never been there. How bizarre is that? You'd think, you'd think it'd be fully embraced, but it's kind of this, it's still regarded as a bit of a newbie, this race, even by even by the Netherlands, who have finally fallen in love with all things racing. I know they've had some greats in the past, but um, but really it's all come down to Tom Dumoulin, who uh, suddenly gets a, um, a, a grand tour under his belt and then everyone's uh, cycling a go-go. But unfortunately... Cycling, along with everything else, has um, has taken a back seat. Anyway, should we get back to the Amstel Gold Race itself, or are you still are you bored of it now? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm riveted as ever. But uh, but it, so it's never been it's never the race has never been through uh, Amsterdam because I mean I don't you look at the map. It's not a very big country, Holland, but Maastricht is kind of at the opposite end, isn't it? It's, it's like think, down in the yeah. the far south. Limburg, in the, the, the yeah. whole, this whole race is kind of crammed into. When you a say the far in, south, um, no, nothing in Holland is 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 really a, a shuttlecock. A sterling hit shuttlecock will actually cover the country. Um, it's quite compact, but you're right. Amsterdam is um, way off where uh, where it is a little bit flatter. And this race was supposed to be about dynamism and to prove that the Dutch weren't just a, a bunch of uh, a wooden clog wearing uh, cheese rolling um, flatlanders. That there was actually some uppy downy bits, and they've managed to find three and a half thousand meters of climbing in one race. Uh, and, you know, Kreuzberg, Iserbalsweg, Fromberg, Koitenberg and the Coburg, you know, this that fantastic loop at the end, the last sort of 20 Ks or so. It really does um, galvanise the nation. I, I think it's their gift to us, really, cycling wise. I mean, we've we've had other races wash through. The Tour's been there. The Welt has even been there and uh, the Giro, likewise, uh, to the Netherlands. But but really, it's um, I, I mean, it's, you say it's cycling hub. It is. Uh, but very recreational. In fact, if you get on one of their bikes, they're the backward pedal braking bikes, which have actually apparently been banned now um, by some European directive. Um, I'm quite pleased about it, to be honest, because I never really quite got the hang of it and always ended up in oncoming tram traffic. But uh, but anyway, that's another story. Yeah, well, just to drop <laughs> this in here, because, uh, you know, you say uh, cycling hub, leisure cycling hub. And, you know, I don't want to get too serious, but whenever people say the facilities for cyclists in Britain aren't great and Holland's great, there's a kind of line that says, yeah, but Holland, they've had centuries of it. They are a traditional cycling country. But look it up, everyone. This only goes back 40 or 50 years. There was a big campaign to improve road safety and get more people cycling. And hence, 
it, it, it all came to pass in Holland. It did, and it may it may yet come to pass in Britain. But, it but was, this it, it idea the, that it says it, yeah. it was know. in the sixties. You know those radical hippies that I was telling you about. They took control of uh, Amsterdam Council and Rotterdam and the rest of it. They got voted in, and they had these free bikes. And the idea was um, obviously technology wasn't there. Uh, these bright yellow bikes. The idea was that uh, you just. Um, used the yellow bikes wherever you wanted and just left them and then somebody else would pick it up and use it there was no ownership of these yellow bikes except there was because in about three months they were all gone (laughs) so that was the end of that um and then uh, they've had various other things in fact the germans came through and were so worried uh, about the netherlands being mobile Uh, i told you what a short country it is you know they didn't want them hiding any ref airmen um, so, uh, so basically they, 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 um, uh, what's it sequestrated? I don't know. They took possession of all the bicycles in the Netherlands and locked them up. And whenever you go to a big sporting occasion in, uh, that involves Germany and the Netherlands, usually football, of course, um, sometimes speed skating, somebody is holding up a banner that says we want our bikes back. It's and it's a hilarious in joke. And now I've told you, you'll see it. Sometimes it's in English, sometimes it's in uh, it's in Dutch. But it basically, that is their. That's about the extent of their insults when it comes to the Germans. We <laughs> give us our bikes want our, back. That is like um, they bombed our chippy, isn't it? That's, well, that's right. That it, exactly now... that. And anyone yeah, who's from Liverpool will know that expression. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Darchipper, yeah, it's Stan, Stan Borgman. Maybe yeah. we could get him on. Can we get him on the podcast, Stan if, Borgman? If he's still um, with us, but, I'm not sure. No, I think he is. But something, I mean, I was reading up about the Dutch cycling, and what was intriguing was in, during the oil crisis in the 70s, there was already the campaign for safer roads, and hundreds of kids had been killed um, in road accidents. I mean, they had a big problem with traffic and, and road usage and urban development. And in the oil crisis, the government declared... Um, car-free days for the whole country, and children were playing on the deserted motorways on those on those days, which I guess would have been Sundays. I don't know, but what a great image! And that's almost something that they've kind of built their urban planning around, and it's all you know, thousands of miles of um, cycle paths, which obviously Chris Boardman et al are trying to push for in yeah. in London and and, and in England, but it's still a work in progress here. Yeah, well, um, any, anyways, any that, roads. That's a little bit the serious. For you that, that under, underlines what you've just said. Any roads, and this is a legal requirement, and it has been since the uh, since the eighties. Any roads that are built in the Netherlands must have an isolated uh, cycle road, not just some kind of painted thing with a with a dodgy looking bicycle on it. Um, no, it's got to be a fully isolated. So you build a highway uh, next to the highway isolated from the traffic so with a proper um, concrete barrier separating it um, uh, so basically a third of the road has to be taken up with a two-way one way and the other uh, cycle road next to it so all roads have to all new roads have to have this uh, accommodated and basically that's the way it should be yeah but you know what you think that's advanced but you know in now it's called you say this Groningen mm. not Groningen anyway Groningen. This, this is perhaps the it's Groningen. I find it very hard to say. But this is the most advanced cycling thing I've heard. I don't think they've brought it in yet. What do you think it could be? Heated cycle lanes. Heated cycle lanes. So that yeah. when there's frost there's no or ice, snow yeah. or ice on the ground... I mean, what that is advanced, isn't it? That's yeah. advanced. It's fantastic. And I mean, that's on the way. To, to be honest, it's no good sort of going, you know, 
going and having a kip on one in a, on a chilly evening. Um, it's just enough to actually raise it above freezing point. That's the idea. Um, so that the uh, so, so that black ice does not exist. I think, to be honest, the, the more accommodating that, that you can make life for cyclists, and we've even seen how uh, how the world has changed, uh, of course, because of the coronavirus, but um, ecologically as well, pollution levels have absolutely tumbled. People are still getting out and about, but they're going on their bicycles and, and, and doing it as part of their exercise plan, and that is absolutely fantastic, and that's the way you know it should be. We're going to come out of this, and the world will be different. Um, I can't imagine football crowds with uh, with two meter distancing um, between all of the fans. Uh, that's going to be a, a strange thing. Um, but the, the world will be different. I'm just wondering, you know, how it's going to metamorphize, uh, how, how life will change. And I'm hoping that it will be for the better for cyclists generally. But you know when you've been to Groningen or uh, Freiburg, which was the first in, in the Black Forest, which was the first uh, city to have, I think, um, car free center mm. it's such a nice vibe it's if the atmosphere is so great and and you're getting a little preview of that now aren't you when you go for your daily exercise mm. you know there's a lot of bikes out not too many let's hope at the same time but but you know it's just a general vibe of everything just being a bit more human sized yep. and not loads of traffic jams and yep. and you know i wonder if everyone will bomb back into their cars when we hope this is all over Let, let's hope there is a little bit of an adjustment you know yeah anyway a bit of bit of politics there everyone did you enjoy that um now now more vaudeville more vaudeville with, with the carton kirby now what about this will get this will get him going this is get his blood up we've had a very sensible discussion there of a, a a nicer world a nicer world but carton kirby what do you think of virtual racing the virtual tour of flanders the virtual paris bay does that make you feel nice well, I've not been I've not been asked to get involved, so I'm, I'm sort of I'm sort of slight, slightly huffy about it. <laughs> that's, um, that's, yeah. that, it's a purely I, a pl yeah. purely ego driven opposition yeah. to it. Well, I, I, shan't, I, shan't be, I, shan't, I shan't be watching that. Um, yes, uh, um, <laughs> but if, if you're on it, you can't watch it either. So, so I don't understand. What, well, what are you if, saying? If, if I'm commentating on it, I'll be I'll be right. I'll be the biggest enthusiast but no nobody's decided to pay me to do anything <laughs> um i to be honest I, I, I tell you what i, I tell you what I, I i feel you're putting out there's been a couple of little subliminal mentions just in this <laughs> podcast for speed skating speed you've mentioned it you've, you've just dropped it in a couple of speed skating as if you're putting out a come and get me plea to uh maybe they have it on eurosport maybe you know something there's a vacancy i mean is what's going on there is speed skating on your agenda I'll have you know that I've covered speed skating in the uh, in the Winter Olympics um, for <laughs> I think probably about the last 30, 30 years possibly. Uh, no, I'm a big oh, sk no. speed skating fan, and you. Uh, I've uh, let myself. I've let myself down there. You really have. Anyway, he's reiterating. Uh, he's reiterating his credentials. Long track, short track. I'm your man. Um, uh, it, it's got a lot of crossover with cycling, not least Hugh Porter, who does the speed skating for the BBC. Um, he's found a, he's found himself uh, a shelf. Uh, back to the uh, uh, virtual, the VR stuff. Uh, no, I've not been asked. I think I'm. I think I'm basically too real, or maybe just they think that I've got, I've, I've got a bit too much uh, whimsy. I'm often being asked to dial the whimsy down. Could you, could you just, could you just respect the sport a bit more and dial the whimsy down? Well, you know, I tell well, it as it said is. That. Who I, actually I, said that? I entertain. Uh, I entertain myself. Well, my boss actually. <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> did he say respect the sport a bit more? Yeah, Is that, could, was that a phrase? Well, I tell you what, the the one I was doing I was doing Greco-Roman wrestling once, and there was this uh, the the uh, the screen was filled with uh, two enormous guys. Um, one Russian, one German, I believe. And they had their faces mashed together, you know, like noses and mouths almost indistinct. And there was a lot of saliva and sweat about because they were... Uh, and I said um, uh, something along the lines of uh, one of the great skills of this sport is not minding halitosis. <laughs> and I, I I thought it was just what it needed to raise... Ra to raise a bit of amusement and unfortunately I uh, come out of the booth and um, and uh, the boss said um, whimsy dial it down <laughs> <coughs> dial it down dial it down Can't dial go, it only got one setting surely yeah exactly you, that's you... the problem and people who people who are doing something that's not real which is virtual they don't want somebody who's going to highlight the fact that it's not real and it's virtual and I'm not I'm the guy to do precisely that unfortunately but anyway but I, I, good luck I, when i watched the, i did watch the tour of flanders although i it, i mean this may say something i don't remember there being any commentary on it which uh, you know that's you know there was there well, was no that, carlton kirby maybe that's it was because quite, it, it wasn't very memorable <laughs> it was uh it was uh but but i did quite enjoy the spectacle i mean i, I watched the highlights if i'm honest i didn't i didn't oh. do the whole day but so so you have all these cutaway screens showing people in their in their living rooms on, on, on their turbo trailers and it's all dialed in and then you have the kind of virtual a virtual flanders i don't know how accurate it was it looked like a proper place mm. and uh I don't, they, they've made something out of nothing and there's only one thing missing and that's our own carlton kirby yeah, so i f i feel people have got their lives to get on with is, is there <laughs> anything else you'd like to address address at this juncture <laughs> No, I mean, I was I was going to fill you in with all kinds of stuff on the Amstel Gold Race, but it's kind of passed us by, really. <laughs> well, you're give us some stuff. No, no, we're 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 happy with the Amstel Gold Race, and I think they're happy with it, sort of parked where it is within the season. Not happy, of course, by what's going on at the moment, and ne none of us are. Um, the news, of course, that's come in is that the Tour de France. Uh, that what I love about this is that um, the Tour itself is, of course, um, the epicentre of the cycling season, whether anyone, any other race organisers like it or not. And everything's going to revolve around that. And there's, there's, there's talk about shortening some of the Grand Tours and then cramming them all into a 12-week uh, super finale at the end of the year. Uh, the Tour itself, there's been some leaked uh, information that they're going to move it, and now the dates have been defined, which is absolute nonsense because uh, it all depends on what happens with the pandemic. But it looks like the tour is going to, at some point, run. We shall wait and see how this happens, but it's going to be delayed rather than cancelled. Um, that's good news. It's good news for the teams as well, because most of the teams earn most of their sponsorship from that one race. doesn't matter what you say about all the other races. And, you know, a doff of the cap to Amstel, the great sponsors of the Amstel Gold Race. What really matters in cycling is the Tour de France. And, um, you know, we we hope and pray that it all comes back and that we I have an extremely busy September because I think it's going to be pushed to the end of August, to be honest, uh, bridging into September, maybe just crammed in before the Vuelta. Goodness knows where the Giro, poor old Giro is going to fit or whether they have any money to put it on. Um, the thing is, you can't even fall back on governments these days because they're all skint, too. So I, I think France itself, part of the Grand Projets, will... 
which they loved to. Uh, de Gaulle famously once said that um, if France wasn't involved in a grand projet, then everyone would retire to the cafes and basically say, how rubbish are we? Um, obviously, he said it in French and an awful lot better than I have just put. However, that was the gist of it. Um, and, so you uh, think that's almost like uh, to, to, to ease people out of the, the slump and the isolation, the, the big um, romantic national call to action, let's make the Tour de France happen. Correct. That, that's almost part of a political thing. That is exactly what's going to happen. Whereas you can't say the same for the Amstel Gold Race. Um, however, what I would like to see, and this might happen, a little bit of news from the Netherlands here, is Amsterdam. The Amsterdam Six come back. It's held in a chicken shed. Um, it's a collapsible uh, 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 temporary um, track. And it is a fantastic six days, and I want it back. It's been missing for for too, far too long, so uh, let's hope that that comes comes back rather soon. And indeed, when we get the Tour de France, let's have Dutch Corner stood back up. Um, one of the um, the president of the uh, Carlton Kirby uh, uh, fan club um, on uh, on um, on Twitter um has uh, is issuing a competition at the moment which is to uh, to to get phrases from Carlton Kirby and he said can anyone remember what the uh, uh the psycho disco thing was that he said about Dutch Corner and uh, I took the time to actually say uh yes it was a psycho gorilla disco meltdown and that was my description of Dutch Corner during the Tour de France and that stands and I hope that it all comes back including the Amstel Gold race the president of the Carlton Kirby fan club. Well, he's, uh, I mean, if you follow Carlton on Twitter, you'll see uh, this fella. He's very, he's very, he'll be listening and he sends out badges and kind of uh, fan club packs in the manner of the old, you know, Beatles fan club. Paul I mean, Bennett's his name. Has he got, got a little fanzine? Has he got a little fanzine for you as well? It's, it's bound to come. It's at Preservation76. <laughs> At Preservation Seventy Six, go and have a look at Paul. You can order the uh, uh, Carlton Kirby fan club badges, musettes, anything you want from him. Um, it's uh, it, 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 it's it's a it's a non-profit charity thing. So uh, go go and knock yourselves out. Oh, you've got so much! I bet you've got a blank sheet of paper in front of you, Carlton Kirby. It's a big it's a it, it's a big bluff that all this. Oh, you wouldn't let me. I gave you plenty of chance to talk about Amstel Gold, and you know, and now you're cla- now now you claim you've got loads more material. When, but you're just talking about sausages and seals. But it's well, a nice sheet of that, paper, isn't it? <laughs> no, let, let's dwell on the radical nature of the Dutch um, in particular. There's, there's a guy, I don't know if you've seen him, he's on the Tour de France, or he was on the Tour de France. He's at every single race, and he's basically a man who hires out camper vans. And he holds up in a sprint. All of a sudden, there'll be this huge hoarding comes up, and it's about, it's about over a metre long very tall and it just says something along the lines of uh, Peter's uh, Peter Pecker's uh, uh, camper vans with dot com and that's it it's like free advertising and he he keeps popping this thing out well i have seen him beaten up more times than anybody he just keeps going yeah 
Well, you know, races don't like to be interrupted and TV crews certainly don't like. You've got a sprint coming on and then this bloke at about the 300 metres to go marker holds out this thing and it blocks riders' view and indeed that of the cameras as well. There's a great foreshortening. So they've, they're have they coming at about 600 metres. He's quite aware of what he's doing. Holds this massive sign up next to the cameras advertising his uh, his camper vans and then puts it to what? one side. Well, right in front, right, right in, in front, front of the camera. Of... Well, like blocking. No, so no, no, no. no. He's see, he's, um, he's a little way away in the in the foreground, middle distance. But you can certainly see his camper van uh, uh, promotion. There's that, and then the other one is there are three great brewers within um, the Netherlands that kind of dominate everything. They're not quite as crafty uh, in terms of uh, craft brewership as the Belgians. Um, but um, yeah, the, there is of course Amstel, the sponsor of the Amstel Gold Race. There is Heineken, and there's a third brewing family that basically do much smaller brands, but many more of them. And they don't quite have the same clout as the others. But what they do is they've got these great um, ways of getting on screen. Um, and a few years ago, they they actually hired a gang of uh, cheerleaders, and they dressed them all up in. Um, uh, bright orange miniskirts etc and pom-poms the cameras loved it but of course it was for a rival brewer <laughs> and Amstel didn't like it at all so uh, yeah I'm not saying there was punch-ups but basically they got the law involved and contracts and all that kind of stuff they probably went to Maastricht to sort it out you know you know the legal beagles down there of course but I'm concerned of the fact the caravan fellow with his caravan sign so when when the order comes out from television to have him you know closed down does that come from you is that you are you like no. the don you, do you just do you just put your finger across your throat <laughs> and the caravan caravan guy gets it that kind of thing yeah it's Carlton Kirby's cycling lock-in. It's, it's a bit of diversion in time of national crisis like uh, Tommy Handley, Vera Lynn or Lord Haw Haw. Uh, now, uh, so next <laughs> next week, next week it's two though, isn't it? Because when, next Wednesday is not Flesh Wallon, and then Wallon, and then uh, on the Sunday is the Grand Dam. The age passed on the edge. So, so we'll we'll talk about both next week. Well, yeah. Looking forward. Vaguely to speaking, possibly in a bit more detail than we have um, about the Amstel Gold Race. But we love, I do anyway, the Amstel Gold Race. I know, I know. I think the love, I think the love came over. But then you had to tell the lengthy anecdote about the the seal and the dog and the sausage. And uh, <laughs> I think that wherever I think that ate into the race. Wherever the Dutch are, I am happy. It's as simple as that. What you need to do is show respect for the podcast. Show respect for the podcast. Uh, dial down the whimsy. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, next week. Next week is a double header. It's a double header. So join us back where you found this. Uh, and, and have a look at Brian Carlton's book, uh, Magic Spanner. There'll be a link where you found this as well. Um, but until next week, thanks for listening. And I'm saying goodbye. And Carlton is saying... Oh, Riva Dirchi. I don't know where that came from. ta -ra.